Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Compass Podcast. I am Whit Gibbs, today joined by Colin Sullivan. I am looking forward to Colin telling us about Mint and Green and all they are out to accomplish. We're also going to talk about green Bitcoin. We've got Mr. Wonderful talking about green Bitcoin. We've got people talking about sustainable mining and how Bitcoin is boiling the oceans. And there is no better person to chat about this with than Colin. So I'm excited to have him on the show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you do, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred listening platform. It really helps out the show. The Compass Podcast is presented commercial-free by Compass, the number one Bitcoin mining marketplace. If you want to get started mining Bitcoin, source hard-to-find ASICs, or find competitively priced hosting space, then check Compass out at compassmining.io. And now, on to the show. Hey, Colin, how you doing? Doing great. How you doing, Whit? Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah. Excited mm-hmm. to talk with you. Yeah, really excited to be here. I'm actually really excited to see you for the first time. You know, we've been talking a little bit here and there, but I've never got to uh, do the sort of live-ish meeting with you. You don't actually have laser eyes. I'm I'm kind of, I was like, I was expecting Cyclops. This yeah, is... well, that, that comes in, I think, uh, that surgery comes at 100K, I think. There we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, Colin, for anyone who doesn't know, I'd love to hear about Mint Green. Mm-hmm. I think what you guys are doing is fascinating. Um, I know we we share some investors with Compass and, and Mint Green and Meltem. Mm-hmm. Um, but what like what's the mission? What are you guys looking to do? Well, uh, Mint Green is a clean tech cryptocurrency mining company, and we're doing something a lot different than other companies who may sort of say they're, they're, they're green mining as well. So where we specialize and where I sort of specialized before I was in the crypto space is uh, heat recovery. Uh, and that's sort of our main difference. So essentially, we have immersion systems, which are capturing the heat generated by Bitcoin miners. This is like a hashing board here. These are all heat sinks. So in cyberspace, these things generate Bitcoin essentially. Um, but in the real world, they just output a ton of heat. And that's valuable. The, 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 the market for heat far exceeds the output of the entire Bitcoin network many, many times over in Canada alone. So uh, we're supplying presently, we're on a project to supply heat to the mash process of a distillery on Vancouver Island. So we're on the West Coast of Canada here, um, which is really uh, exciting and interesting, as well as a an application that is actually literally boiling the sea. There's like a, a gourmet salt company, if you can believe it, and they're pulling seawater and they need a certain temperature, kind of a low and slow to get these nice uh, gourmet flakes. And we're able to supply them heat, which is basically cutting their carbon footprint and saving some money and obviously saving us some money on uh, on the actual mining costs as well. So am I hearing correctly that you are making bourbon through mining? Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> bourbon, um, but it is whiskey. It's they're doing sort of like a, right. like a like a scotch style over there. Okay. It's actually quite good. Um, and they got they won actually a lot of awards recently. There's two applications to so the mash process, which is which is the the larger of the two uh, vessels, mm-hmm. where you're basically heating it, you know, in, in excess of 70 degrees Celsius, um, which is a continuous process in a, in a fairly large size. But the other one is actually just heating the barrels in their sort of cellar. Um, apparently that allows them to age quicker, which allows them mm-hmm. to achieve more value on that. Uh, and the guy's very keen in the crypto space. He's very uh, excited by Bitcoin and what that means. And so he thinks it's a really good synergy. And you know, we're really excited. Meltem was very excited. CoinShares is very excited. So I mean, listen, there's nothing that goes together better than you know whiskey and, and Bitcoin. So no, no kidding. Makes a ton of sense. No kidding. Uh, so how I mean, how did you go from figuring out this heat distribution to the to these applications? I mean, what were you doing prior to getting into mining? Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for a company that uh, actually manufactured custom heat exchangers and pressure vessels. So how, this is a company that actually got me 
into crypto in general. Uh, we had a client uh, call me one day and basically say, hey, we're looking for condensers and in uh, a pressure vessel. And I was kind of like, like you know, for what? And it was the application. And it turned out that this was a mining company, a, a pretty big one at the time called Bitfury. Um, and they mm-hmm. were doing an immersion system in Tbilisi, Georgia, which I got to visit, uh, which was incredible. Um, but when I saw it, they were, they were using uh, a system that I thought was pretty inefficient, except for just getting rid of heat. And and all of my clients at the time needed heat for different things. And sort of the light bulb went on there that, you know, immersion is very, you know, it's it's less the footprint is much smaller. So you have you can have a much smaller footprint, more concentrated amount of energy. But that's not the whole value there. And I thought the full value was actually, you know, tying into municipal lines called district energy that heat city blocks. Um, This is a an industry that is huge in Europe already. It's growing in North mm-hmm. America. Many college campuses are to use it. Uh, I know that uh, Vancouver, most of our city is covered with district energy now. And uh, cities like New York have sort of legacy systems as well. So the places you can put this to heat actual blocks at scale, like multi-megawatt, uh, is is a massive opportunity, um, particularly when you're supplanting natural gas. So uh, places with carbon regulated markets make us able to charge a very high price for our, uh, our sort of greener solution on that. It's awesome. The the first time I'd ever heard anything like this, I was in I was in Prague. Uh, just had met with the guys at Slush Pool and um, Great was out with. Yeah, they are. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Was out with somebody, uh, you know, a GPU miner there, um, grabbing some drinks, and he was telling me about his desire to use the heat from mining to grow lab rats. And uh, he was like, "Yeah, man, you can sell these for a thousand dollars a piece. The the heat's just going nowhere anyway. We can use this." Um, I'm not sure if you ever got that off the ground, but oddly enough, like as soon as I came back, I, I heard about you guys and I thought this was just, a, it's such a cool process of, of what you guys are doing and how it differentiates you from other miners, right? Because you're still, I mean, you're, you're capturing the Bitcoin as well when you're mining. Absolutely. And it was, it was really funny. We would hear things like prior to sort of this uh, market upturn, like, oh, can you do this, but not with crypto mining? And we we're kind of like, that is the whole business. Um, we've sort of, yeah. we're trying to achieve alpha in a few ways we have. Um, basically, everyone would mine if there was no overhead costs and downside risk. And that's where trying to mitigate to a large degree. Um, We can achieve sub two cent costs just about anywhere. Heat prices track electricity prices so we can open non-traditional markets. Um, There's a lot we can do with this. The, the, The challenge though is that we cannot scale quickly because there's not an easy, like if I was a traditional mar- miner, I'd take in a hundred million dollars. I would build say a 25 megawatt facility and that'd be done in the space of eight months or something, maybe a year. Yeah. Um, we have to basically find full utilization of our heat. So that's going to be anywhere from half a megawatt to probably five in most applications because we only want to capture the base load. So on the hottest day of the year, we want full utilization of our heat so we can sell it. So the, there's, you have to kind of spread out far and wide for that. But I think that uh, the elimination of the downside risks allows us to kind of grow more organically, even in sort of potentially what could be, you know, a bear market a few years from now or something like that. It's a bear market. Speak those words I carefully. Know, I know. Come it's a come. distant memory. You know, listen, Sailor says it's never going to happen again. So, um, you know, that's what I'm pulling for. Well, so that does kind of lead into the next thing that we're mm-hmm. going to discuss when it comes to the market cycle that we're in right now. It's really hard to imagine that we would revisit even 30K mm-hmm. considering the buyers that are stepping in. Does this change the model at all for you or does this just make the pitch when you're going to look at places to use your heat that much easier? Um, it it doesn't change the model for us, although I would say that it's it makes it very seductive to try to just scale and forget about 
the heat recovery, which is not our business. Um, and we will have investors kind of push us on that. Not the right kind of investors, but you know, investors will say like, well, why would you do this? If you have access to these, just blow it up. And that's just not what Mint Green is doing. Mint Green is doing something discreetly different. We're, we're built for multiple halvings in the future. Um, eventually, even if, you know, Price continues to go up, uh, and you know, let's just the ultimate end. You know, Bitcoin consumes all money. It's still eventually going to reach a price, uh, a value equilibrium, and that will be just like mining corn. And sort of efficiency will reign. And I think that's where we're kind of built to succeed in that sort of environment. So now, when you're hearing all of these people talk about sustainable mining, mm-hmm. right, green mining, mm-hmm. uh, and I know we had a, a, a little Twitter exchange, which I didn't, I didn't get back it, back to you on Twitter because I want, I knew we were going to have this conversation. I wanted mm-hmm. to chat about it. What are your thoughts right now on how Bitcoin is currently being created uh, with regards to the, you know, the energy mix that's being used? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think it could be much better. I think that we're going to find that being, being green makes a lot of business sense, not just, not just great. It's great for the environment, Um, but there's a lot of trapped energy assets out there. Uh, And Bitcoin sort of allows that to be made useful and made full use of. Um, We in particular will not deploy uh, where we're drawing energy from a predominantly fossil fuel source also. So uh, in a sense, we like to think of it as, is like two, like twice as clean as any miners. So essentially we are energy mix right now is about 97% hydro. Um, and then we use all that heat energy from that upwards of 95% of that energy uh, is also reused. So it's kind of a, a use case where it's being used twice, but also from a green source. I think we're getting sort of near the th- like max threshold for how sustainable mining can be. And I, I don't think philosophically, I, I do not believe that this is, this is wasteful, this activity. I mean, it secures billions of dollars of value every 10 minutes or so. Uh, or, or even a trillion dollars of value now. Um, and I think that the systemic efficiency that it creates will ultimately uh, be apparent. Um, but we have basically a legacy system running parallel to this growing new market. And so it would appear when you look at a single metric that it's that it's highly consumptive. But I, I, would, I would caution anyone thinking this to try to think of not how much does it cost to transact a US dollar per se, but how much does it cost to maintain the value of it? And that is immeasurable. That's that's everything. That's that's yes. political influence. That's military strength. That's 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 it costs absolutely everything to do that, not just electricity. So then the Bitcoin that you create, should they be valued higher? Yeah. So let's let's get into that. Um <laughs> I, I, so the, I feel like I actually thought a lot about our discussion, like our little back and mm-hmm. our little yeah. you know, reply and the mechanism is key, right? So it, yeah. the mechanism has to be correct. And I saw, um, who's, who's the guy from Luxor mining? He also had a comment on this as well. Ethan. Ethan. Yeah. Ethan was yeah. like, yeah, you know, no green Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. Um, the fact is it, there's no reason why it shouldn't be completely fungible. And I think there's a lot of ways of doing doing this. It's just a question of there's a trade-off on each way. So like as a blockchain purist, you never want human intervention. Anytime there's human intervention, it is weaker. The solution may not necessarily even be on blockchain, but if you were to do it, 
there's there's multiple ways uh and even built into the protocol so there's a there's a there's a level called epobcs which would basically be kernel colored coins which are completely fungible just like uh bitcoin except there's something in there saying these are distinct. So that would be one way of doing it. You can do a, a, a layer solution like, you know, like Tether is the most successful token there is. It's on, you know, it's on Bitcoin's uh, Omni layer. It's on Ethereum. It's on Tron. It's recently on OMG. So something like that, whereby basically for every coin you produce at, you know, X amount of greenness, you get issued a token on another layer. And let's say if you wanted to be an investment firm and say, if for every Bitcoin we have, we need at least as many tokens or half as many of these green tokens sort of pay for our carbon credits of this. Um, so that would be another way of doing it. I feel like there's 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 no place for... And you can even have a wallet sort of interpolate these and go, well, this portion are green and these portion are not. And you'd have a regular wallet that would not recognize the difference. And that's fine. They would be, they'd work to be interoperable. So I feel like there's a lot of investment money out there that would like to sort of meet ESG sort of requirements um, uh -huh. and be be sort of triple bottom line in their investment. And it's it's difficult to for a layman to argue that that's the case with Bitcoin. And I think if you if you could if you could definitively say where it came from, I think that would be massively in demand. And I think that would not only that would be a very much a case of all boats rising with the tide there. It would just open up lots and lots of money to investing directly in Bitcoin. And if so, I made one more thing, I think yeah, yeah, please. the transaction fees would also go back and clean older Bitcoins as I would see it. So transaction fees come into the block and now essentially older coins that were mined a different way are now mined in a clean way. And you can sort of rinse the entire uh, blockchain over time. So it's an interesting theory. The Okay, so when you're mining Bitcoin, obviously, if there's a... Uh, a secondary token that's mm -hmm. produced, let's say, yeah. that if, especially for Bitcoin purists, I think would would create some problems in and of itself. Um, I guess where I where I stand on this is that I think the incentivization shouldn't be on the token side; it should be on the other side of it, mm -hmm. right? Because if we're inviting in this idea of denominating Bitcoin or differentiating between Bitcoin based on the way that it's produced or the point of origination, mm -hmm. then we're eventually going to get to the point where we're demonizing any Bitcoin that's not produced in that way, which I think is counterintuitive to the entire ethos, ethos of the system, uh, we would have to have some kind of way to figure out where those Bitcoins are coming from. There would, with no doubt, be regulation that would come in. We'd have to find a way to uh, ensure or verify that certain Bitcoins were, in fact, green, uh, which... That adds complication, it, it, absolutely. It, it does add complication where I think that it could be done easier. And I, I want I want Bitcoin to be 100% produced by, by renewable energy sources. I think that that's the way that things will naturally go um, because Bitcoin miners are always seeking out the cheapest source of power. And by definition, most fossil fuels are more expensive, right? If you can tap into constant hydro, that's generally going to come at a lower price point. Mm -hmm. And with higher consistency than if you're looking at a coal-powered plant, um, China actually is doing this pretty well. So everyone has heard about Inner Mongolia and what's going on there with the the rising power prices. There's been a lot of talk about you know the thought that it's the Chinese government trying to influence Bitcoin mining in some way, but in reality, they are punishing people who are using that are high high energy consumers that are using fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So they're raising these rates and encouraging them to leave so that they can switch to renewable sources faster. Mm -hmm. And I think that those kinds of incentives and programs can really, uh, they can properly guide people towards doing things the right way. You know, it's, 
It's tough. The fungibility thing is the is the key point. I worry it's the same thing with like the virgin bitcoins or, you know, the KYT, know your transaction situations mm-hmm. that were brought up uh, a year or so ago. What then happens to the old ones? Like the the rinsing process, I can understand, you know, I, I, fundamentally I, I, how that could happen. I think like you're you're almost kind of undervaluing Bitcoin in this instance. I mean, there's going to be wide swaths of people who do not care whether it's green or not. And we'll just get the best sure. value Bitcoin they can and will not pay a premium for this. This would basically just be giving people an opportunity who are like, who are highly ethical or are bound by some sort of regulation within their investment community to, to be able to get access to Bitcoin uh, without having to, you know, basically write a PhD on why they think that Bitcoin is actually green. So uh, it, it, there'd be no question about the fungibility, but I mean, basically it, the, the logic, and, and I kind of inferred it in the tweet was, you know, you're saying you'd be demonizing corn by letting people know when one's organic and one's not. You're not demonizing the other corn. You're giving people options uh, according to their own ethics. And I think you can do that pretty pretty simply with, you know, something even on rootstock. I mean, there's a million ways to make this that would not interfere with how Bitcoin operates. Uh, the least invasive would obviously be sort of the token. Uh, but I mean, people write things, signatures in, in the blockchain all the time for specific blocks. And I think if there's a pool that was sort of on board with this, that would be a very simple way to track that. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a layer of complexity, but it's not a layer the world hasn't dealt with for all time until blockchain arrived. The idea that one Bitcoin is better than another, I think that that is at my core the the, the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, just seeing that saying that one is better than the other. When in reality, they're not meant to be a financial vehicle for like certain people to. Uh, it, it, all this is is a different way to productize it, right? If you're if you're able to label these as green Bitcoin, it's like the the green Bitcoin mining pool that has been announced. Right. Okay. I I, I understand the the idea of wanting to make more money off of the virtue virtue signaling of this. But in reality, in reality, that's all I think it is. I think it's just a way for people to try to drum up more profit for their companies. And it's a kind of a fiat mindset. You know, it's just that idea of, you know, if one Bitcoin is worth one Bitcoin, it doesn't matter how it's created. It doesn't matter what it's worth. It's interesting that you say a fiat mindset because uh, I I don't disagree with you. Um, The the issue that I'm running into, though, is like, so when when a lot of interest started getting drummed up about my company, the discussion was not around about how profitable we were going to be. It was around how this type of activity literally adds value to Bitcoin. So it's basically like if we if we put an example of a company that's really doing mining in a sustainable, ethical way, that 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 makes Bitcoin a, a healthier ecosystem in a lot of ways, particularly if we grow. Um, I agree with that 100 percent, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, so it like to, to offer some sort of differentiation or even like, I think highly uninvasive would be, it would be a second layer token on this where it basically would not affect a Bitcoin at all. These would be a separate sort of ecosystem whereby, you know, I, I bought two, I'm a hedge fund. I bought 20 Bitcoin and now I'm going to, you know, buy equally 20 of these tokens to sort of cover my carbon for that purchase. I mean, that's very separate and no one's saying you have to buy these tokens. I think that would be one very clean way of doing it. However, over time, you'd actually have more tokens than the entire blockchain. But I mean, I think that's a problem for another day. Um, there's there's just the mechanism is complex. There's a million ways of executing this, um, mm-hmm. but I think it will be done. And if it's done right, um, I think that 
we're going to see hundreds of billions of dollars pour into the space. And it, like the, it, all boats seem to rise with the tide. I mean, if you're the smallest yeah. cap altcoin, you are going to probably be 20x by the end of the year just because Bitcoin's doing well. That's just how the market works. Sure. So I think I think it would be good for everyone for something like that. Um, but you're right. I mean, you don't the, what has been created is is very special and is is not to be sort of um, forked for something like this. It's just got to be something that's non-invasive, I think is key. Well, and this is, I mean, not to, not to toot your horn here, but I mean, you guys are doing it the way that miners should do it, right? When you're looking at how do you increase your margins, it's not about saying that what I'm producing is worth more. It's about figuring out how I can innovate or disrupt mm-hmm. or find new technology and increase margins on the other side of it, which you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. By finding a way to use heat, you were able to drive down your cost per kilowatt hour or mine in more locations than would otherwise be viable for certain miners. Mm-hmm. And that level of creativity, it benefits the entire space, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't infringe upon Bitcoin's value proposition, right? So it's looking at it on the other side of the mining equation Mm -hmm. that I think that's where I stand the strongest. Because if we start to allow the Mr. Wonderfuls of the world to say, my Bitcoin is worth more than your Bitcoin because my Bitcoin is from this facility versus your Bitcoin being from China, which we're seeing now, right? The mayor of Miami, when he had his interview, he basically he condemned all hash rate coming out of China because it's dirty, right? He mm-hmm. said that, you know, Bitcoin has this environmental problem because the majority of the hash rate is outside of the United States and China is using coal to mine it, mm-hmm. which is factually incorrect, but actually, it's, it's incorrect. a dangerous narrative. It is, it is factually incorrect. But, 90% of the hash rate isn't in China. Oh, 90%. 90% yeah. yeah. And then the, the hash rate that is there, while part of the year they're using grid power, it's it's still a mix, mm-hmm. right? It's not like 100% of that power comes from coal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're doing a lot to try to move away from it. But a lot of the hash rate in the US is coal powered as well, mm-hmm. right? So that's the challenge is like, we hear a lot about Texas. We hear a lot about Washington or places that has hydro, mm-hmm. but there's there's plenty of facilities that are running lots of megawatts and, and they're coal powered as well. I mean, if you want to take a, a strictly sort of Chicago school, like approach this, you're like a green coin is supplying a market demand. Sure. And if you're saying that, you know, because it may slightly stigmatize existing coins that the demand should not be served. I mean, that's that's sort yeah. of against traditional market forces. I mean, I think that, it's, I know, I know. Right? That's, that's the one, right? That's the one. I mean, look, the free market. The I, free knew, I know you can find an angle on you somewhere. Yeah, it's. I mean, that look. That, yes, yes, but again, fiat mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So that's. But like that, you, you and I, and and others have put tremendous yeah. amount of time into understanding this, like tremendous amount of time. Yeah. And the more you understand about it, you can never understand Bitcoin without understanding every way in which is connected to so many different things, and it's yes. so wide and deep to. Expect that the the majority of people will be using Bitcoin and will have no idea of its how exactly how it works or exactly why it's important in twenty years from now. So um, I think I, I, I as much as I I love that term fiat mindset. Uh, it takes, I would say, I mean, if you're exceptionally bright, maybe faster, but I mean, it probably took me four years in the space before like I really started to think of Bitcoin in terms of Bitcoin instead of like dollars and stuff like that. And so it's sort of like understanding at a deep level how it's sort of impacting virtually everything, power structures, you name it. Um, yes. It's, it's, it's deep and, and wide. It is. It is. And I mean, I think that's why we could probably talk about this 
for an indefinite period of time, right? Like it's a, it's a big and exciting thing. And it's, it is a real challenge. Like this is something that we need to tackle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we're all sick of hearing the FUD around Bitcoin mining, boiling the oceans, even though you're literally doing it in a clean way. Um, (laughs) so funny. Yeah. So funny, but the, yeah, it's, it's just for me, I think it it all hinges on the fact that, you know, the incentive should be on the mining side, Mm -hmm. right? I understand that the market is going to do what the market's going to do. And if someone agrees to pay something, you know, $2 for something that someone else will pay $1 for, then I mean, $2 is fair. This, this concept that consumption of electricity is suddenly moral hazard is, is very novel and has only been applied to Bitcoin. Bitcoin. There's no one saying, you know, like, I mean, there's no one really saying like, you should stop gaming or you should stop using any, like, you know, any sort of other consumption, um, that is, you know, that everyone, you know, stop using Netflix. I don't know. But this, for some reason, because it's related to, um, something that's very foreign to many people, I guess it's sort of a bigger target. Um, but like, again, when we're looking at opportunity to land this heat, we will never service the market, even in our own country here. So we're looking at the best landing spots from this from like an environmental and, and fiscal standpoint. But uh, the number was something around the order of just in residences, the baseboards, electric baseboards specifically, consume three times the amount of energy of the Bitcoin's entire network every year in Canada, in Canada alone. And Canada has like 30 million people. Granted, it's cold. That doesn't take into consideration gas heating and industrial right. heating, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, people are just burning electrons and they're not even securing any transactions whatsoever. I mean, that's a waste. Right. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, Bitcoin is a net positive. Uh, Bitcoin mining is a net positive for the for the grid and the infrastructure. I mean, mm. I was talking to Mustafa Yilham from Bishin and they're one of the largest Bitcoin mining facilities in the world, right? They've mm. got... 2%, 2.5% of Bitcoin's network hash rate. And even at their peak, when they are running in Sichuan, all of the Bitcoin miners in China that are in Sichuan, mm-hmm. they're consuming 20% of the excess power that's being produced. Like right. they're not even touching what's actually being used for other facilities. So there's not this idea of it robbing others. It's not like when you fire up your rigs, uh, you know, a, a home in Toronto loses power. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's just not how, not how it operates, but not enough people understand the grid. And I think Nick Carter said it best right? When people do this, it's the low hanging fruit that allow people to attack non-state money. Mm-hmm. That's what Bitcoin is. Yeah. You know, who, if you, if you have a system that is set to disrupt the entire world, any argument will do. The repetition of it is, is a bit disturbing. Um, it particularly like, like, again, I'm, I don't want to just like, you know, shoehorn myself here too much. I'm not a huge Ethereum person. Um, but I do like the concept of an NTF NFT from a, from like, we're experimenting with digital scarcity and that's kind of cool. And I do like that artists are making lots of money where they otherwise would not be for their craft. I think that's amazing. But you know, I'm talking to people sort of on the outside and they're immediately concerned about the environmental impact of a non-fungible token. Um, and I just think you're just missing the point if that's what you're focused on. Yeah. Well, and like you said at the beginning of the show, right, the the real cost of fiat is armies and infrastructure and government and lobbyists and all of it. It all feeds into the fiat system that we have in place. Without that, I mean, that's all that's backing it. Yeah. Right. I think exactly. And I don't think there's any savings there. I mean, like all these services are are, are a monopoly on themselves. Mm-hmm. And when the, you yeah. don't have any opportunity to choose on these things, you're definitely going to get hosed. And so I think there was really no way to move away from this without 
extreme violence until something like Bitcoin happened. Um, I don't know. I don't know a ton about your audience, to be honest, uh, Wit. Um, but you know, I hear things like you know, Samson Moe's one of our advisors here, and one of his. Oh, we got to separate, you know, state from money. But I, I don't think the state survives that. I just, I just don't see how that works, at least in a way that we understand now. And I think whatever would be left or whatever would be there would actually probably be a lot healthier, to be honest. Well, I mean, what is the state there for if not to back up money? So if there's no money, what do they what do they do? Everything that they everything exactly. that they do, all all laws, all rules, all policies at their base, they are to generate revenue or protect revenue or protect the economy in some way, which is all based on the monetary system. A hundred percent. And I think this this uh, idea of these sort of central bank cryptocurrencies will be a real death spiral for these this, this money. Um, because as soon as you start looking at money in the lens of cryptocurrency, you can see that, you know, it. how much different is the US dollar from Ripple or, you know, Tether? It's, I mean, Tether obviously is a funny example, but it's, it's there's no emission schedule. It's centralized. Uh, it goes in the hands of a, a core group of people initially. Uh, you know, there's inflationary and cantillion effects to it. You would not mm-hmm. invest in, a, in this if it was in the crypto space. You would not want this. Uh, and there's a million reasons why you wouldn't. I mean, again, like, back, like you talk about green Bitcoin backed by, you know, cruise missiles to Syria. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure I'm into that, you know? Tether that deflates or that that inflates 20% a year. Exactly. Right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's, not an attractive proposition. And the thing is that most people don't even like if anyone asks me about Bitcoin who knows nothing about it, it always starts on like, well, what is money? What do you know about money? Let's talk about money. And you really have to. That's the source of education, which which is completely avoided by most of the education system for good reason. Yes. Um, and, you know, I did a, I did an MBA out here at the University of British Columbia. And, you know, my macroeconomics professor and I were at each other's throat constantly. And uh, he was a gentleman from Venezuela, which was somewhat ironic uh, that he had so much faith in the monetary system. Um, oh, wow. But, you know, we would, you know, he, you know, he thought Bitcoin was a waste. It's going to zero, blah, 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 the whole bit. And it's just, there's a lack of ability to extrapolate any other environment in the present, I find, among academia uh, with regards to how, what would a world look like with a slightly deflationary coin backing the whole system? True. Well, Colin, mm. holy shit, man. This was a good conversation. <laughs> that time flew by. Yeah. Wow. Uh, one one question that I, I like to ask people before I wrap up a show. Mm. Um, in my opinion, we are in one of the most exciting times in the history of the world, and we're living it right now. Mm. Over the next six months, what's something that's got you beyond excited? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, listen, um, there's there's a lot of things that have got me excited, but we have we will likely uh, be putting a shovel in the ground on a major deployment of our technology, uh, multi megawatt. Um, I can't say too many details on it at this point, but this is a real world application taken on by a very large city. Um, and we may be supplying the base load of heat to an entire municipality. Uh, and I think that that uh, that example can really sort of change certainly change our company, but may change the space quite a bit and what's possible as far as green mining goes and what that looks like. That's fantastic. Well, I'm excited to hear more when you guys are Mm -hmm. ready to talk about it. Uh, For everyone listening to the show, we'll include all of Colin's information and Mint Green's information in the show's notes so you guys can check them out. I highly, highly advise that everyone looks into Mint Green. But Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This is a great conversation. Absolutely. My pleasure. But anytime. Thank you. 
That's a wrap for us at the Compass Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and consider leaving us a five-star review on your preferred listening platform. Thanks again, everyone. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on the Compass Podcast are their own and do not represent the opinions of Compass Mining, Inc. None of this content should be considered financial advice.